This episode of Super Pulp Science is brought to you by CoreyJ.com. Come check me out at C-O-R-I-J-A-Y-E.com. Attention, citizens. It's time for Super Pulp Science. This is Super Pulp Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. And we are back with a very special repeat guest, a three-peat guest, and my long-suffering co-host, Justin Curry. So, Justin, why don't you introduce our guest, since you weren't here for the last time she was I was not. I don't know where I was last time, but... Jet setting. Somewhere. Yes. Um, This is Corey J. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another Red River alumni. We were actually in graph design together. Um, You were the year below me, I think. Yeah, That's so you right. graduated the year after. So we kind of knew each other like a little bit throughout college. I don't think I knew this. But we didn't really hang out until afterwards when we both attended weekly art nights that um, were put on. I went to one or two of those. You went also. to one or two of those, but yeah. I don't think you were there when I went. Were you there when mm-hmm. I went? I used to go like weekly. It was like every Thursday yeah. from 8 till 10 or 7 till 10, we would just all sit around and draw. And yeah. It was great. It was kind of to keep... The drawing alive after school, the creativity of your own projects and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it was nice. It was. Yeah. yeah. Definitely a must. So the thing is, for the dear listener who doesn't, hasn't heard, I mean, we've done 80, 90, and we've done 90 episodes, I think, now. So maybe the dear listener doesn't remember Corey J. But Corey J., I'm going to give you a little backstory uh, about her. And that is to say that she used to have what we would call on in this room a regular job regular schmegular and then she left her regular job to make art dun 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 why don't you tell us a little bit about that journey um yeah so basically i worked in the corporate world um as a marketing manager um for a large company for about five years um and then I just felt like I needed to leave because my calling in life was to be an artist. Um, and I just like couldn't get away from that thought. Uh, so I ended up uh, saving a bunch of money uh, to make it comfortable for myself to quit my day job and venture off onto my own. I think an important point we made uh, the first time you were on the show is how surprised we were, or at least I was maybe, at the... Um, Efforts you took to responsibly leave a good job behind. You saved money, you made a plan, you had some uh, indicators of success that you had set up for yourself so that it wasn't just like, ah, flip the desk and stormed out one day. Yeah, and I also had given the company like two months notice, uh, two or three months notice. I gave them like a lot of notice because I had a good relationship with them and I didn't want to burn any bridges or anything. Um, but yeah, I saved a bunch of money. I planned it out. I tested, um, some ways of making money before I left. Was it like a slow burn, like a slow thing that built up or was there like an inciting incident that was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and do this full time. It actually, to be honest, it was like, I don't want to like, I slipped into a sadness Mm. having to like get up every day at a certain time and like sell my time to someone. And it just got to the point where I started like contemplating, like, 
is this what life is? Like, is this really it for me? Like, is this what my life is going to be like? For the next couple decades? Yeah, exactly like I just that. couldn't. But you know, after 25 years, they'd give you a golden pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I'd get a little talk and everybody would have some cake. And yeah. <laughs> then we move on. So there's that, right? Yeah, there's yeah. That. yeah, there's that. So it was just that big picture did not look yeah, exciting. Yeah, it, it was like looming over me and it was making me like feel more and more depressed about like living life. And I just feel like you have one life and the sooner that I move on and start creating my own business and working, you know, honing my craft the sooner that I can reap the benefits of that. Cause it is a long process to, um, be comfortable and yeah, absolutely be where you want to be. If you're ever even there. Never. <laughs> yeah. Always chasing. And I think the inciting incident that you usually reference Greg is like you had like three funerals in the span of like six months. Oh, kind God, of, like too many. Was... Yeah. Like a whole year yeah. of family funerals. And that was the, like I was always making books. Like I was doing a book a year or two books a year while also having a full-time job, but I was saying no to lots of stuff. And I was just saying, Oh, there'll be time for that. I'll do it at a steady pace. You know, this is the responsible thing to do. And then, yeah, just this sudden spotlight that you don't have the time that you maybe think you'll have, uh, com- coupled with a bunch of socially conscious projects I didn't want to say no to. And the only place that I could scoop the time was, <clears throat> excuse me, from work. Um, and so that's where I scooped it. Yeah, I think when you're an artist or you feel like you're meant to be on a creative path and you're not on that path, whenever you step back and look at the overarching like scheme of your life and realize you're not where you're meant to be, it's very like looming. There's a lot of like doom to that feeling of not being where you need to be or where you know you should be. When are you going to get, yeah, when are you going to be able to get to it? When is this magical time off that you're going to? Right. Have yeah. To yeah. Finish oh, that project. Retirement. Yeah. yeah. So I have a question then that has come up because you keep using the phrase "meant to be." Do you think there's a place that we're meant to be? Do you think I feel like our fates are preordained? I feel like we all have gifts that we were born with, and for me, like "meant to be" means like al- in aligning with the gifts that you have to like serve the community. So, for me, I feel like that's my voice through artwork. Um, for you, it's comics. You know, so just being in a line with the gifts that you are given to serve other people. Well, and increasingly these days, I've realized that the thing I miss about teaching isn't the, you know, and I think probably for most teachers is never the curricular outcomes. I don't miss any of that, but I do miss and have missed the connection that you can make with the classroom of people. And so um, I'm doing an eight week course with the faculty of medicine, teaching fourth and fifth year med students how to make comics. Um, so which is like a place that I never thought comics would take me for sure well the thing about that is like I believe that people can have more than one gift so one of your gifts could be teaching or is teaching obviously right so that also makes you happy where you're using your other gifts and that gift to serve other people and help other people right which is important so how long ago since you left corporate Canada it's been two and a half years. Ooh. Actually, one and a half years? One and a half years. It feels yeah. like two and a half. <laughs> it feels though. like two and a half, but it's actually only been one and a half. Yeah, my timelines. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> my timelines <laughs> in my head are a little bit messed up. But I left in December 2017. So 
that is one and a half years. Right. Yeah. Almost two years. So you're in it. Tell us what, what this is like now. Are you going back? I guess is what I'm, that's the veiled threat of my question. <laughs> Are you going back? Absolutely not. I will not go back. Um, I, there's no price that you can put on freedom. I guess that's the main thing. Freedom to create, freedom to live, freedom to get up in the morning, freedom to take a day off when you're not feeling well. So for me, like having that freedom is like a really integral part of my life. Right. Yeah. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's been like the easiest journey ever. Like it's definitely not like, oh, this is the greatest thing. And like, I think everybody should do it. I think it takes, um, someone who really wants to learn about business and someone with a special mind who can work with both sides of their brain and really orchestrate their art or creative craft and also orchestrate the business side of things because both are very time consuming and you have to be able to separate your time and dedicate time to both. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. I actually did a bit of like prep for this podcast, which I never ever do. I know you have some notes. I'm like, and oh, I listened to the last podcast that I wasn't at. Like I listened yeah. to it like way back when it came out, but I listened to it again on the weekend just to kind of go over things. So I have a couple notes that I want to follow up with. Uh-oh. Oh. Um, yeah. So I have this clipboard with me, which is blank, blank. but he had notes. So I wanted to just feel like I was, I was like, should I prepared? have some yeah. notes Would you here like too? When I sat down, I'm like, I don't have notes. Um, but one thing that you said, like, and that we just talked about that like really hit home in the last podcast was you were saying how it was almost like the universe was providing. When you needed work or when you needed projects, it just came to be almost and that seems to tie in a little bit with like if you're doing what you're supposed to be doing you know the work will show up and is that still happening do you or like is the the horseshoe still there yeah I mean I feel like this is a really complicated question because there's a lot of layers to it mm -hmm. I do feel like Pick in whichever general, layer you want yeah <laughs> I do feel like in general if you're on the right path um, as long as there's momentum. Yeah, right? the universe to... will provide for you. You do have to step forward, like you said. But I also think that it's really important that you have your mind in the right space. So for me, like when I'm not creating from my heart and I'm looking at the money side, the money side stops completely. And sometimes I need like, you know, a good session with whoever to like bring me back to saying like, okay, like you need to focus back with your heart and start creating art again with your heart mm -hmm. and the money will come. So I think that's really important too. Like if you're chasing money, the money's going to like pull away from you. And it's definitely like a lesson in learning that when you go out on your own. Um, so yeah, I think you need yeah, to make sure. Money knows how to run. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're focused on the right thing you know yeah. like if you want to be an artist you need to focus on the art um with that being said you also need to focus on the money at some time so it can be really really tricky um but yeah i feel like it's important to have uh some savings so that on months when you're running kind of tight or things aren't going the way that you want them to go or you go to do a show and it ends up snowing that day and no one comes to the show and then you're screwed because you were depending on that money. It's really important, I think, to have like a little bit of savings cushion, mm -hmm. and then also to be adding to that every time you get paid. Um, what I like about this, what I like about your entire um, trajectory, and you know, like we've been watching it from afar, you know, definitely in your corner. 
but it's this combination of, you know, you hear a lot of dangerous entrepreneurial talk where like, if you just believe in yourself, that's enough. You have to believe in yourself. You have to have that attitude, but you also have to be prepared. Yeah. Right. And I so don't you, necessarily think that's just enough. Right. Yeah. And so, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful, refreshing thing to not have you just say, well, you know, I just believed it. And so the work showed up. It's like, well, I planned ahead. I believed in myself enough to plan for my own future, which yeah. is what I'm decoding out of what you're saying. But I don't yeah. want to misquote you if you feel like that's a no, yeah. bad It's very important to like plan. I mean, you can plan your face off and still life happens and you cannot be prepared. So, I mean, you just have to do the best you can with what you have. But right. I do think it's important to make a plan if you're and if you want to leave a full-time career and go towards a creative career. I think it's important to make a plan on how you're going to make money every month like what funds are going to what you know what ways are you going to orchestrate that and i think setting up multiple streams of income is the best way that's like one of my next questions but also adding to that when you don't have a plan when you don't have like that clear concise like step one to ten of of how this is going to work you still need to be doing things. And I'm thinking back to like, especially early in my career, there was a lot of projects that I didn't have an end goal when I started, but mm-hmm. had I not done them, those doors wouldn't have opened that oh, opened totally. when the project was done. So like, even if you don't have a plan, you still need to be moving forward and doing something and creating. And yeah. I think that's like a really good point. Like mm-hmm. most or not most, but like a lot of the things that I, benefit from financially are things that I just started on myself like they're all like self-orchestrated projects Uh, just like you were saying like Mm -hmm. oh I just want to make this and then it spirals into something else or someone will contact you and see that and want you to work for them on another project and so there's you have to be like really self-driven and be able to just keep going not being able to see the future you know one of my favorite da vinci quotes is that and if my wife is listening to this though she probably isn't is she's rolling her eyes as i say (laughs) as i say it out loud which is movement gives shape to form yeah right if you're not moving then you don't know what shape it's going to take you can't sit Mm -hmm. planning for the shape it will be you have to start moving and you know i mean da vinci is where that comes from he's looking at the shape of a fish and like why does a fish look this way why does a bird look this way and their movement creates their form it's like this cyclical relationship yeah but you have to get moving before that happens that's right you can't just like wait for projects to come to you because it's like not gonna happen right like it just doesn't work that way how many years did banksy just break the law before he started making money off of yeah, it. And still yeah, that's the right. law. He's still breaking that's the law. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. he was that was all free work. It was still a lot of it is free work, yeah. but yeah. Um, um okay, so moving forward, my next question. Oh you have um, another question. Yeah, my, Look at you're so prepared. Look you're like, <laughs> tapping so prepared. the book <laughs> tap. <laughs> I'm kind of scared. Honestly. So <laughs> like, the rapid fire question. Because last time on the last podcast you talked about your Patreon quite a few times and I love the idea of Patreon, but I know myself and I know that I would be super excited about it for two weeks and I'd forget about it for four months and then do like another big like purge of Patreon and then forget about it again. It's just the way I work. I don't think it fits in with Been ha- how I yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think Gregory, you're probably similar, right? Yeah. It's, it's something that you have to keep working at and keep on top of and with everything else, 
I, I love the idea, but I don't think I can do it. So I want to know how it's been going for you and what yeah, you've learned about that platform. It's definitely a like, platform. create your your work for yourself project, Adrian. Mm-hmm. It's not a just like, oh, I'll just set it up and people will just give me money every month and just love me for being me. It's Which like, is from afar, that's the idea. That's the idea, yeah. right? But that's actually not what it's like at all. For me, it's so great because it keeps me able to produce my own content so my own painting so for people who don't know i have a patreon that's set up like a card and print subscription service um i have other tiers as well but for the most part it's card and print subscription service so every month i create a new painting that i turn into prints and cards and i send them out to people who are subscribed Um, so for me making a new painting every month i have to come up with a completely new concept that's not attached to anything it's not in any project or anything and i really think that that's really helped me um, with my developing my skills as an artist so constantly painting on projects that are outside of commissions or other paid projects that I'm working on. Um, So I feel like it's been really great. It is a slow burn, I feel like, to get it going. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm where I want to be with patrons at all. But at the same time, the ones that I do have have been super loyal. And I love every part of it. Like, I love making the painting. I love making prints. I love packaging them up to send them out in the mail every month. Like, I don't feel like that's a burden to me because those are all things in alignment with what I feel like I like to do with my artwork. Um, But if you're looking to start a Patreon, it's not just like, oh, you just do it and people who follow you or like your content will just sign up. Like, I talk about it every single month and um, I put like um, flyers about it and every single print that I give out. So prints that are sold in other shops or prints that I sell shows. Do you find that, that your shows. patrons are coming from that in-person interaction or most of them are through the, the Patreon community? Most of it is through people who have purchased prints yeah. either at my shows or yeah. Um, it's that so. 20 rule we talk about mm-hmm. all the time. Right? Yeah, so it's not really like necessarily the people who follow me on Instagram or... Um, I have a couple patrons from that, but it's not, I feel like the bulk of it is like actually speaking to people at shows and, um, prints that they've purchased that have had that slip in it. We mustn't compare ourselves to regular people. We're artists. How do you deal with failure? When you have a regular, I'll preface my, like, I'll give you the operational definition here. When you have a regular job, you have a bad day you fold it into the other good days because you're working on salary or you're working by the hour. And so, nah, you had a slack day, but you have some other good days and you know, it all kind of evens out in the wash. But when you're freelance, you can put a lot of energy and time into a thing that it yields no results, no this immediate like results. such a good question because it's such a process to get to the point where you just like don't even care anymore. Um, the thing is when you're, when you're like I've had so many failures I like can't even tell you how many failures I have and at the beginning like when I had left my job and I was just starting out so basically just like a year and a half ago um, when I used to run into those situations I would like cry and cry because I had spent like for example grants that I had written that I didn't get I would have spent like 
30 or 40 hours writing these grants and then getting in touch with people to edit the grants for me and involving other people and talking to councils and all this stuff and then you'd submit the grant and be like super excited about it and you can't not be excited about it because you can't get to the point of writing great material unless you're excited about it yeah. so you have to be excited about it <laughs> so you have to send them in all excited about it and then getting a little invested right yeah. you have to be invested mm -hmm. but then you don't want to be too invested but you have to be invested it's just how it is right then they break your then heart. they break your heart and it's just like for things that you really could dream and see it's like so heartbreaking like i would just like sit and cry and cry and like sob like oh ugly tears like so bad but like now i feel like i've been rejected so much that i'm just like i don't even care like i would rather someone just say like hey you're not the right fit or whatever um and i can move on like then be like you know hanging out in that well it's interesting there's a there's on. a field of psychology that basically posits the following idea that in order to move on in a healthy way from any kind of trauma you have to feel the futility of it so the best example of that is like when you let a kid who's having a tantrum cry it out all the way without interrupting it now you can introduce the limit yeah but if you interrupt that them crying it out and say oh no no it's okay it's okay it's okay you haven't let them reach futility and so they have not learned from any lesson you literally just described this idea of like oh here is the futility of it i'm going to feel all the feelings completely <laughs> and having felt them i am prepared for the next set Corey's yeah. work tantrum yeah. Oh, yeah well but you know <laughs> oh, yeah. we get the, we get into this idea that if you feel too much or you lose your cool or whatever that that's somehow bad in the process I think it's bad to interrupt it once it's started. Mm -hmm. Once it's started and you're feeling that horrible like sense of failure, you have to let yourself feel it all the way to the end so you know what it feels like. Yeah. Because then when you look at it, you're like, what if this next thing fails? Like, oh, well, the last time what it meant is I was sad for two days and I kind of cried for an hour and so what? Yeah. I can risk that, mm -hmm. right? But exactly if you right. never feel it, if you never feel the whole thing, you actually don't really know what failure is. Yeah. And I feel like every time it happened to the extent of like me working on a project for like, you know, a week or a couple weeks or whatever, every time that I didn't get it or went to someone else or whatever, it got a little bit easier to deal with. And now I'm just like super over it. Like I just don't, I don't even care. Like I care because you have to care right. <laughs> to submit to anything in the first yeah. part, but it's like, it just wasn't meant for me. Uh, it calls to mind a story that I remember about uh, Paul Williams, who did all the music for Phantom of the Paradise, which if you're a Winnipegger, you've heard of this movie because the movie was only big in two cities, Winnipeg and Paris. And it was a complete failure everywhere else on earth. And he was recently talking about how he deals with failure and how he looks at failure. And he says, you know, I had this big movie that was a complete disaster. But when I realized that he was in Mexico City and this like 16-year-old kid ran up to him with the soundtrack and asked him to sign it and he was saying like, well, I don't remember being really nice to this person, but we, I guess I was. I don't really remember. And I don't remember being really encouraging, but I guess I was. Um, but I now know who that person was because it was Guillermo del Toro who is letting hey. me adapt Pan's Labyrinth as a musical based on how much he loved Phantom of the Paradise. So he was looking at the way in which failure, right, what you look at as a failure, 
maybe you're only looking at it in too short a span of time, right? That now, and then he ended up working with, I forget, some other big band also as a result of them liking um, Phantom of the Paradise. And he's done a lot of work as a result of this critical failure that was creatively all he wanted to do. And so maybe, you know, these things that you're like, oh man, that was so awful and you had to go through that, their time is coming still. The idea you had was just too soon. Daft Punk he worked with. Yeah, I knew it was somebody that we would recognize, right? So, you know. Um, oh, I, totally. And even like things that I applied to that I didn't get at first and I'm reapplying to now, like if I go back and look at that application and then look at the application I did now, it's like the application that I sent in that I thought was like so good that I like put my heart and soul to is like kind of laughable, you know? So even yeah. in that respect, you you're, can see you're just a bit and... green with that. Yeah, video. exactly. Yeah. I've definitely done that in the past too, where I like submit to something and I didn't get it. And I was so angry at the time. And then looking back, I was like, oh no, they made the right decision. I was not totally. the right fit for that. Exactly. I wasn't yeah. ready for yeah, that. Yeah, I was not ready I for that. Yeah. Where I needed to be for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like in terms of like what you just said, like you're not just, it's still coming. It could be, right? You just mm -hmm. need to have more... Um, experience right yeah. fortitude you know it's really about not giving up yeah and I also think that it's important to talk about failure like I think that's a really good question to discuss because it's like one of those things in our like age of social media where everything's edited and it's your highlight reel mm -hmm. like it's people don't like to talk about failure or sometimes if you talk about failure uh, you seem negative or you don't want to you totally. know so or you're yeah. trying to get attention right it's like a cry yeah. for support yeah, exactly. But in like a bad way. Like we just said, everyone can relate, right? Mm -hmm. We've all sitting across the table here had those experiences. Yeah. So it's I think it's really important to talk about because it's like. Well, and I, uh, dear listener, you couldn't see Justin's face where he realized that he made a slight faux pas. He's not <laughs> suggesting that you shouldn't ask for help on social media. That wasn't what he's suggesting. His suggestion was if you're asking for attention. Yeah. Then ask for attention. If you need help, ask for help. But don't vague book a cry for attention. Like selfie in a hospital. Like don't want to get into it right now. But that's right. <laughs> yeah. right? Not feeling great today. Yeah. You know. Right. That is a cry for attention. Yeah. But yeah. like legitimately, I feel bad today. Send me nice cat pics. I actually think is the most one of the most honest thing that happens on social media. Right. It's like I asking for what I want. I'm just thinking yeah. of a specific like. Sorry, I just think of a specific instance of that is like, instead, take a photo of whatever it is. I've got this weird growth on my butt. What do you think this is? <laughs> Get people's opinions. Yeah. Yeah. So in this dramatic um, segue from Dan, um, the growth on our butts is the art that we sometimes, which is the failure, right? It's the thing we made that didn't work. And what you're saying is we should share more of that. Like I was quick, and we've talked about it a bunch on the podcast, how uh, Good Boys was the fastest start to finish pitch to acceptance ever but i also pitched two other books in that same meeting that i don't talk about right which is drift hazard and the hellcats of venus and uh fairytale ending both of who, which were fairytale ending has been around for years for and a long years, time right? i've been tinkering with it and i keep getting rejections like and so at first i was like oh well people don't get it if only they understood it <laughs> and then i more recently have started to look at the core idea of the pitch is at, is only um, paper thin. It's just the concept is all I really have. 
I don't have the actual why we should care story. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Good Boys, the concept was paper thin, but the why we should care story was what led. And so it started to get me into thinking uh, how, which of my pitches have landed and maybe I have been uh, misidentifying what it is. What the magic is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're right. Yeah, I think maybe more openly talking about the things that don't work. Is that your portfolio? Crap. 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 Ah. Now that's good work. You know, my main... Kind of my main hustle is going to conventions and setting up and selling prints and posters and canvases and everything like that. And just kind of like looking at the big picture, I seem like I'm, I'm a little more like stressed out and um, like behind the ball than some other people that do the exact same thing. And I think of a lot of it has to do with I'm always kind of reinventing things a little bit. I'm always switching things up. I'm always trying something new. I'm doing something different. Whereas some people, you know, they have the same portfolio they've had the last two years. So there's nothing new for them to figure out. It's the same yeah. suitcases. It's the same backstand. Yeah. Like nothing changes. Well, and to the untrained eye, it looks like the Chasing Artwork booth is just always this big booth. But you've redesigned it at nearly every show that you land at. I try to, right? yeah. Yeah, I like yeah. to take elements of what you've learned from what works well from mm -hmm. last show and reincorporate them. I think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Like recently, like the last show I did was uh, Fan Expo Toronto. It's a massive, massive show. And I brought, I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort into these paper tool pieces where That's right. oh my you God. cut out yeah. a mm -hmm. piece and paste it back together. And I had them all packaged up and ready to go. And I think I brought like 13. They're gorgeous too. I sold one it. the entire weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was like super distraught because that was like four days of like solid so work. Yeah, yeah. And I watched him working on it here and watched him packing it up so carefully and that like arranging so the suitcase and like the whole mm -hmm. thing to get it all the way to Toronto. So I was, and I didn't go to that show. So when he came back, I was so excited to hear. And when I looked at them, you know, assembled, I was like, wow, this is going to blow people's minds. And yeah, you never can tell. Like even for me, like you never can tell what's going to be successful. It's no. always the craziest. Like the things normally that I'm not that into are the things that are like so great to other people, and the things that I love that I put like my heart and soul to. People are just like meh, and yeah. I'm like, Ugh. I think it's another point that I think we should talk about is that you need to be prepared that not everybody's going to like you, and I oh, think yeah. this is like a huge thing. Like, like everybody has a different style of art and not everybody's into every style of art. And like, it's okay if people don't like you, like it's okay if people don't want to work with you or don't like your style or And the whatever. three of us have very specific styles. Yeah. Like, and all very different. Yeah. There's a lot of work that my, like you, if you and I were pitching for the same cover, that would be a crazy universe, yeah. right? Because yeah. in no universe would the publisher that thinks, oh, well, it could be maybe Corey J's paintings or maybe Kamichuk's paintings. Right. There is no There's world not, where yeah. they're, they're together. That's right. But we both make a living with our art. Yeah. Which means there are people out there. That's right. right. Yeah. I love that your quote, that or the thing, you like to say this a lot, that the, the 
projects that you're seeking are also seeking you. Yeah. Mm. I feel like that's like really inspirational because <laughs> sometimes when you're in it and you're like, where is this going to land? Or like, who is even going to like this? You know, that's a good quote to like keep you going. It does, right? Because yeah. then you're, at, it's not just, you know, it's like a, a tunnel being dug, you know, under the, under the battleground from two sides, right? And if you're, it's like, feels like a slog and the battle is going above you and oh my gosh. But if you know someone else is digging from that other side, you just gotta do your work so that you can connect those tunnels. Totally, and that goes back to what Justin was talking about, like self-made projects. Like you just have to keep stepping forward with self-made projects. I mean, for me, what I've been working on uh, the last couple of weeks is an Etsy shop. So. People have been saying like, oh, do you have Etsy or you should get Etsy or whatever. So I did a bunch of research on it because it's very complicated to just set up an Etsy shop. Like you could just set up an Etsy shop, but for it to be successful, there's like all these intricacies that you need to know about. And I spent like 40 hours in one Mm -hmm. week trying to like just get up like some of my content not even all of my content just like some of my content we were out for dinner with the fabled creative people one time and uh they they were talking about their it's etsy they've got an etsy shop that's right yeah that is the right story and i turned to uh indy of ron and indy of fable creative and i was like so you know that must have been kind of nice to just you know put that shop together and have that work and the look on her face of like the sheer ignorance that I was spouting, like, oh, it was so so quick to to make that work. Yeah, she almost smacked it right (laughs) out of my mouth, right? She was like, no, it's an enormous amount of work to make it work work. properly. And okay, why as a primarily print artist, why Etsy and not just double down on Redbubble or Society6? Well, I already have Society6. Yeah. And I add to Society6 like every month. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is just another venue to get... Um, people to see my work, but also because I want to be selling my original paintings right. as well. Okay. And I can't do that uh, through Society6. Right, yeah. So it's another avenue for people to find handmade canvases and handmade pieces of artwork. Right, and Etsy um, is kind of a... You- you're not really supposed to be doing reproductions on Etsy. It is just for the originals. Is that nope. still true? No, there's like lots of print artists oh, okay. on Etsy too. Yeah, some people just sell their prints. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's like very specific ways on how you're supposed to present and, you know, what kind of pictures you're supposed to have. And so I have both. And then I also have, um, oh, I brought you all my Puffy Dreams enamel pin. <gasps> oh, yeah, so yay. I have that on Etsy too. Like that's, a, a, I feel like, a better marketplace for me to sell Enamel pin. pins are yeah. Yeah. a thing to do these days. Yeah, I'll give them to you guys. Yeah. Oh, here on air. We're receiving a gift. Yay. There's one for you. Awesome. And one for you. <laughs> Thank you. And one for you. Now it occurs to me, Justin. Do we, do we, give Corey J another Super Pulp Science pin? We usually reserve them or for first time. Or we could give her a chasing artwork. Pin you have a new enamel pin. <gasps> we could trade. Yeah, that's yes. so good. I love. Dear those. listener, the guests of the show receive a limited enamel pin from Super Pulp Science as a tangible thank you, um, which three times ago we gave to Yeah, I to forgot Corey to put it on my I feel like this could be like a, you know in Disney they trade the pins, you guys familiar with that thing? Yes, yeah, yes. Those pins. This could be a thing we do for, for podcast guests. Everyone who comes on the show now should have their own yeah, that's pin right. like this, yeah. and then we'll trade pins <laughs> yeah. with them. Yeah. Or else. Um, okay, so we sort of dovetailed there into this is nice. uh, means thank of distribution. You. 
right? Mm. Multiple sources of income. Multiple sources of income. But let's come back around Thank to... You. So cute. Oh, Justin yeah, there it is. Gave me his pen. It's pretty nice. I love it. It's pretty so nice. cute. Not just anyone gets that. Oh, thank know. you so much. No <laughs> I love it. I love uh, whales. I'm actually just working on um, a new mural that's whales. I was gonna. That's on my list. So excited Murals about were that. coming up. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's do it right now. That's well, the best no, segue ever. Well, no, because that was to do with my society. Oh, he has the list. He doesn't bubble. want to break yeah. it. Okay. The multiple sources of income. Okay. Right. You can't just rely on the one thing because you don't know how long it's going to last. And a thing that you brought up the last podcast with Corey J, which is also a great thing that we should talk about more, is what you're doing now did not exist when you started out. So whatever we're going to be making money on, like five, ten years from now, probably does not exist yet. It's not a thing yet. So you always kind of have to be on the lookout and can't just double down on one thing and expect that, you know, Instagram is going to be around in the next five, ten years because it might not be. Everybody's going to move to something else. Yeah, Mm -hmm. in fact, guaranteed it isn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's this uh, really cool technology right now. Well, cool, but also terrifying that puts a thread, a neural interface through your brain, like it threads different parts of your brain so that you can think at your phone and think at your computer, and you don't have to do any physical typing. They've been playing around with that for a while. Playing around with it a while, but they've started doing uh, actual human testing of it. Yeah, this is terrifying. Right? (laughs) So the one thing that we can, the one thing that we can guarantee is that whatever the status quo is now, is only for now. Yeah. Right? So what are the things then that you're going to do no matter what? Maybe that's a better way to look at it. What's the essential you? Like for sure, creating. Yeah. But I feel I don't feel like that's special to me. I feel like that. Yeah. Anyone can create anyone, something. Anyone who's like an artist, I feel like, especially people who have put themselves in this position, I feel like that's what you do. You just well, keep going, right? What are your venues right now? Like, where are the places that you're putting your artwork and you have income coming in? If we can ask that. Well, yeah. my Patreon mm-hmm. is really great. I do shows just like you, yeah. which is really awesome. But different kinds of shows, right? More craft Yeah, I do oriented. like more craft shows. Um, I've done some comic conventions and it just is not my my people. My people just aren't there. Well, we've tried craft sales and it's yeah. not yeah, our people. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So you have to try different ones. I now have my work at a couple different places around Manitoba. Like the pop-up shops where they sell prints? Or? Uh, no, like the Art Gallery of Southwestern Manitoba. Hmm. They have my paintings and some of my prints, which is awesome. And uh, Kismet Creek Farm um, has my pieces as well, which is a um, animal sanctuary um, that rescues and um, has a forever home for animals which is nice. so exciting I love being there they're like such great people and they have like you can go and spend time with the animals so if you're looking for if you're feeling sad one day I definitely suggest going there it's super awesome the part of my um, brain that are re- immediately rebrands things as scary and horrible all you'd have to do is like welcome this is your forever home yeah. <laughs> right? And suddenly it doesn't seem like a great place no. for those animals. No. no, they're so happy. They're the happy. It makes like that. me think of uh, that Pinocchio, like the land of the lost boys oh, or whatever yeah. that. They bring them all to that Pleasure, Pleasure Island. Island. Yeah. It's your forever yeah. home. There's so many sinister things in yeah. what you guys just said. <laughs> yeah. Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? 
You also did an art show at the, con uh, I want to say, conservatory? No, where was it? It was somewhere oh, at Cinderborn Park. Yeah, the Pavilion. The Pavilion oh, yeah. Gallery. Yeah, I have another show coming up in April 2020 there um, with the Zephira Vun from Anarchy Design. Which I'm so excited about. She's actually downstairs. So tell she's us more right about it. Yeah, she's right below. We could stomp really loud, <laughs> yeah. and she would get annoyed. Yeah, yeah. let's yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, called Collabosaurus Rex, and <laughs> we'll be collabing on some pieces, and then also be showcasing our own. And they'll have a Winnipeg theme to them, and there also might be some dinosaurs. Ooh, sweet. Yeah. Okay, murals is on your list. Yes. I want to know about this murals Because you so were starting to get into murals in a big way last time you were on the podcast. And you wanted to get into some outdoor murals. And I'm pretty, you've started doing some more outdoor yeah, murals. Yeah, right? I just did one for um, Winnipeg Folk Festival. Uh, their volunteer mural. It was 24 it feet was by so 4 feet. It was so amazing. Oh, P.S. thank you. Yeah, thank you it so much. Yeah. I, that was so fun. I got to do it like backstage, which like the festival wasn't on, so it wasn't really backstage, but mm -hmm. it was still like backstage. And I was working in uh, under a massive tent um, where their carpentry and electrical people are. And it was just like, there was such a nice sense of community there. And um, it's just a really, really fun project to do. Um, and let's uh, underline how big it was again for the dear listener. That maybe we twenty-four feet wide and four feet tall. Um, I made the mistake of not wearing my gas mask. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, you get a little dizzy. And yeah, I got the worst <laughs> migraine after the first day. So one thing I just want to shout out to anyone working with paints or anything that's off-gassing, like a hundred percent. Um, Opening a window is not enough. No, workplace safety, <laughs> yeah, you have to make sure you have a fan, you have to make sure you have a mask, especially if you're like covering large areas. Um, it's really important and I feel like it's something that people never talk about. Like I never hear a painter say like, oh, I'm gonna put my mask on. I feel like that's kind of like, whoa, that's kind of intense for what you're doing, right? You know why? It's because there's the same, um, I think, painfully destructive stereotype about what a painter is supposed to be like the same way that like writers are supposed to drink booze and smoke cigarettes and hammer at typewriters yeah right artists are supposed to not have not any care. care in the world that's about right not care stuff. about anything but uh, overalls with no shirt right yeah. and right. no yeah. shoes yeah. just covered in paint yeah that's right exactly. yeah that's yeah. right but in fact the chemicals that you're working with are toxic mm -hmm. every day and you have to be careful uh oh, my yeah. mom who was a glass artist also worked like she did stained glass as well as fused glass she would go for lead tests every year yeah. because she has to handle lead all the time yeah right? so important to just be like aware of those aspects of what you're working with um just want to throw that yeah out throw there. that out there be yeah. safe people be safe Safety Make first. yeah right now i'm working on um a whale mural i keep there's a picture of a whale in front of me here and it's like oh this is actually a gift for justin yeah where'd that come from yeah that's what? for you speaking uh, of giving gifts on the podcast <laughs> that's for you i got that at the last show i was at i saw it and i was like that's look a good at this. time my birthday's in like Okay, don't look at that. I'm going to turn that over. <laughs> don't you have a September birthday too, don't you? July. Sorry. July? Oh. Yeah. All right, we got to keep that secret till your birthday comes. I thought our birthdays were closer too. I for thought some so reason. too. I don't, I don't know, know why, why but I thought your birthday was in September for some Maybe reason. Maybe we did like a mutual celebration one time or something. Something like that. I can't yeah. remember. Hmm. Weirdos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, so what's next? 
Where are you going? Yeah, We've so, talked about where you've been and where you are now. Well, I'm working on this mural. Oh, yeah. Um, we're not done with murals. I can't say where, but <gasps> I'm filming it for uh, Skillshare. Ooh, time lapse. So I'm going to start Whoa. making for Skillshare. Skillshare. Skillshares. No, like a full, like, this is how you do it, step-by-step -step tutorial. That That's ties in great with my next point, which is the classes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you've been reaching out to online spaces and doing classes and teaching people. And so is this a culmination of those two things? Or yeah, is this a whole it's a new culmination of those two things because I feel like I love teaching and I love teaching classes. And sometimes my classes get canceled hmm. and that can be really frustrating because you still have to do the same amount of work, whether, yeah. you know, besides actually teaching the class, but you have to prep for them and that kind of thing. So I feel like Skillshare is a good way to connect with other people online and still be teaching it's right. an right? online community where people just I've, i'm not familiar with oh that yeah okay, skillshare. so yeah skillshare is a subscription-based platform where you subscribe and then you can watch as many videos as you want of people giving tutorials on anything about building or creating anything to do with art and design cool. and even things outside of it like carpentry or whatever um so yeah, and then if you, you can make money off the platform too if people are watching your videos and yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. So wait, okay, so I gotta, we gotta scroll back. We got a little distracted by uh, Justin's birthday here. Uh, <laughs> Happy upcoming birthday. Mural, I am in awe always of the idea of someone standing in front of a blank space of that scale and magnitude and being able to bring something to life on that scale. Uh, it's on my bucket list for sure, and I've been talking to somebody about doing a thing like that, but I, you know, we're talking about failures. I am sure I have to fail a few times before I can get it right, but who will let you do it twice? Yeah. Well, you know what? <laughs> right? The best thing is, is to do it for free. So get a space, like find a space that someone's willing to let you do it for free. Like and practice. then Like practice. And then if you mess it up, Go figure. the best practice thing. Practice is the best answer here. Yeah, it's yeah. flat. You can just roll over it right. and start again. Like it's really not that intense. Like, I don't know. It's not that scary. Like you can just, like the best thing is when you make mistakes, you can just try again. Like, you know, so. So do you work, I got to get into the minutiae here. Are you gridding the space when you're working from a grid? Are you projecting over that space? Are you freehanding it? Yes. Are you just standing back every grid. 10 we minutes? We learned this in the last podcast. Like I know the grid is how you're supposed to do it, but yeah. I also know a lot of mural artists don't yeah. use it There's a all. couple different ways you can do it. Um, I am still working with a grid because I feel like that is the best for me for the spaces that I have been working on you can use a projector and projectors um, are getting really cheap these days yeah. too yeah i just ones. don't have one and yeah. the grid's like whatever um it's easy for me to carp compartmentalize in my brain which squares I'm working on and that kind of thing um, so I really like the grid but there's another method now uh, that a lot of uh, spray paint artists are using where they squiggle a whole bunch of squiggles all over a space so instead of creating a grid they just take their cans and make a big mishmash on the wall and then they take their image and photoshop it at like 50% onto uh, the squiggled wall image and then they uh, see through all the squiggles and then they use those as guides. As a guideline. Ooh. So that's a new way that people have been doing it. Right. Um, Neat. And, and it's essentially the same thing. It's essentially the same thing. You just have to have good spatial issue. So for the dear listener who doesn't right. know what we're talking about with grids and squiggles, <laughs> yeah. right? The idea in reproducing, <laughs> no, reproducing art is if you have a, let's say you have a photograph 
um, and you get a piece of graph paper and you put that onto vellum so that you can see through the graph onto the picture. Now you have a value of every square that's either positive or negative, light and dark, or color values in the square. You then blow, you can blow that grid up to whatever scale you want onto whatever wall you want, and then you're just copying a square at a time into that without having to think of the whole picture or the big picture. Um, there you go, yeah, grading 101. That's right. Ta-da! It still <laughs> blows my mind, though. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like... I feel surprised that that blows your mind. I just feel what? like... Why? That's... I don't know, because it's like that idea that we all think the same, even though we all totally don't think the same. Right. So what like is really kind of like easy to me, I would assume is easy to you, but that's stupid, because that's not... You know what I mean? Like I look at your color theory and color combinations that you use for your paintings. Blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, like that's fascinating to me. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know, I just, you just assume that people think a certain way and you have no idea what other people are thinking or, you know, what makes them excited or what interests them. And I feel like that's part of the reason why when you, when I create something and I'm not that into it and other people love it and then something I'm super into, they don't love. It's like that same concept of you never know, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, I got a live one here. <laughs> You know, this talk about why Hemingway, for example, became such a famous writer is because he wrote short, easy to un understand sentences about complex ideas, right? And I think sometimes when, I've been thinking about this a lot because I write and I illustrate, that sometimes I get over, I overwhelm my own audience with too much too soon. And they don't know what I mean by all this stuff the way that I know what I mean by mm -hmm. all this stuff. And sometimes the when I when I reevaluate at the look at those failures, um, when I was clear and succinct early, and had a single easy to grasp concept early, that's usually the ones that caught on, right? That grab people. I think it's one of the strengths in Justin's compositions. Even if you look at it, and you have no idea. A lot of people look at it, they have no idea how he makes it, how it happens, whatever. But there's a clear. Or even if they don't know the characters. Yeah, or... there's a clear element of storytelling. This big versus small. This one small idea can overcome this big idea. It's something that is immediately accessible to everybody. Yeah. Right, and that's where there's a lot of strength in that. And with your colors, that same thing. I think what's exact accessible to people is there is a warmth and vibrancy in the colors even if they don't understand why you chose that uh, composition or why you chose that subject matter those colors make them feel good yeah immediately yeah you really have to like think about I don't know you I guess you don't have to think about it but thinking about your audience and how they're especially with writing and that kind of thing like how they're perceiving what you're putting out there because you know like you said like you yeah. know what you're doing but is someone who's viewing it gonna understand right and sometimes I think about for me like do they need to understand is it better if it's up for interpretation like well and so one thing that I've been doing recently is thinking about how I came to like a thing right so um more specifically yeah if, you're going deep right? I love yeah it. I love how it. i how i came to like a thing so that the reader okay so i'm working on this project called arena city it's like a love letter to 1980s action films but it's set in the 3080s and it's all like cyberpunk dystopia stuff threads in your brain that's why that stuff's on my mind right um but that's a lot to throw at a person in one page right the first page of the book has to like you know, introduce them to a 
the broad concept. But what really, when I boil it back and peel it back and unpack it all and say, what is the thing that this is really about? It comes down to the idea that um, fame is a mask that eats the face. That's what started this entire <laughs> idea, right? That social media presents this one version of you and other people buy into that version and the weight of that now sits on you and yeah. sits on your persona Sometimes and you wears you away. Hard to break free right? of that. And so that book, then when I unpack that, well, what if somebody was famous without anyone's permission? Could you be famous without permission? And that's what that's, this entire thing is boiled down to this one idea, right? I discovered the story when I boiled back to what I was really doing. I said, what got me on this journey? And it's like, can you be famous without permission? What is the story? that would cause that to be true. Because you don't have to understand cyber dystopias and you don't have to understand social media and you don't even have to like 80s action movies, but you can be presented with the idea that you don't want to be told how your life is supposed to be. That's a simple idea. Yeah. That's like mm -hmm. that first move, right? So when you're making a painting, right, which is a whole story in a single canvas, how do you start? Like you said that you've been practicing for your Patreon to do original pieces on a regular basis, which is very different, dear listener, than doing stuff for um, a client. Because a client gives you a parameter, so you are solving a puzzle based on that. When the puzzle is the whole world plus this canvas, what do you do? Yeah, I mean, for me, a lot of the times for my paintings, I just get like visions, and then I like go off those visions. Like I'll have a vision of like, like, for example, my last piece that I posted about... Um, like the Oracle of Delphi here is what I'm thinking of? What it, like, where's these visions? I want to know more. <laughs> well, so for my last piece, for August's Patreon, um, I wasn't sure what to paint, so I ran a poll um, in July. Uh, just I gave m the my patrons like a list of things that they could choose from, and then um, they voted on... So I gave them different ideas. And one of the ideas that I gave them was uh, two animals uh, that are friends in an unlikely partnership. So, so then that got some votes. So I was thinking, OK, I'll do that. <laughs> so I was thinking of animals that I could paint. And then they like sometimes they, things just come to me. Like I don't know where they came from. They just like come. So I thought of an octopus and like a Yorkie, like a little Yorkie dog. <laughs> an um, unlikely partnership. Yeah, because they're like super unlikely, right? So um, yeah, that painting just kind of spun from there. And then One is smart and loyal and the other is a Yorkie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's what that, and then it just like, then I have to think like, where are they? Like, where are they going to be? Or is it going to be more of an abstracted background? You have to think about like foreground and background and how many elements. And I like um, to work in threes. I think that's a really powerful design number. So I had like the octopus and then the Yorkie and then the moon because I decided they were going to be floating through space and, you know. It just kind of snowballs from there. Um, Do you start with color or line first? I always start with a line drawing. Line. Yeah. Always line. And then... And, um, you know, for the dear listeners not familiar, uh, Corrigier's color palettes are very bombastically bright, vibrant, neons, pinks, yellows, fuchsias, all these crazy... Full color. Full, right? Full color strength. Full right. opacity. 
um, which is not what you would normally associate with the subject matter. Mm -hmm. Usually it's very sort of abstract in that way. How do you decide what those colors are? Well, I like to use like high contrast to the max. Like I like things that are very intense and the most intense things have the highest contrast. And so for example, if I've decided that I'm gonna make, you know, something blue, then I wanna make something orange or red, uh, which is like the other side of the color wheel to make it pop, right? right. So I use a lot of contrasting colors um, in my works to give them that like vibrant intensity and then sometimes I just like go with whatever colors I'm feeling at the time and comes out interesting too so now do you ever sometimes pick a painting because that's the color you have in bulk uh sometimes yeah I've done yeah. that yeah, yeah totally. I used to paint a lot <laughs> yeah. I'd be like what will I do today oh man here's all the red I didn't use in that last painting well like if the budget's tight for sure I'll see what I have and go with that but <laughs> yeah. there's also like things to be said about that too like working with what you have right like I have a bunch of canvases like piled up that are just sitting there so if I can utilize one of those instead of buying something new like yeah. you know and pro tip for the dear listener uh Jay Cabredo is that how you say his last name Jay Cabrito. Cabrito uh, taught me a trick when we, uh, on Arlington, yeah, we all used to have studio spaces there. Uh, I was like, wow, you always have the craziest paint here, and you always have so much of it. He says, oh, you go to Home Depot, and you buy the mist tints. You can buy two or 10 gallons of paint for like 10 or $15, and you just have to paint with what's there. And I was like, what? (laughs) And he's like, yeah, I just paint with what's available. That's insane. But he had this really high quality, really expensive, always looking yeah. like, I was always like, wow, you must spend a fortune on or this stuff. Or you could buy one color to go with those. That's right. right? Yeah. And then like he's like, contrast. when I'm trying to balance it, I yeah. pick the contrasting color yeah, to, exactly. you know, so then you're averaging down on your, and that changed, that changed my worldview <laughs> of like that uh, painting doesn't have to be this expensive, like, you know, specifically middle-class pursuit which is increasingly becoming oh there are so many hacks there are so many hacks yeah do you have a favorite um well recently i've been really into buying frames off of facebook market what um Mm. for for show so i have a big show coming up in uh december uh the signature show it's um like a 10 by 10 booth and i'm gonna have some pieces that are framed Um, at the show and so instead of going out and just buying frames um, new full price I'll go and buy them off of Facebook market for people who have purchased them and not going to use them or didn't buy the right size or whatever. Which is sustainable, ethical. Right? Ethical, sustainable, budget friendly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of hacks like that that you can use or canvases. You can buy canvases off of Facebook marketplace. Like you can buy probably anything Um, You might have to wait a while and stock it for a bit, but eventually things will pop up. So if there are things that you're using that like other people are using too, you can probably find them um, on Kijiji or Facebook. New too, like not even used, like new. Yeah. Another thing is like to paint over um, failures. (laughs) So if you make a painting and even paintings that you like that just didn't go well for other like for shows or that you can paint over them and reuse the canvas yeah there's so much more i want to talk to you about i feel like we're gonna have to have you back for another episode are you up for that so nice i love coming here well we i always feel like 
we just scratch the surface and make a list of questions fresh by the middle of the podcast that Across we can't get yeah, through in and out. We got all of them. Okay. Do you still get asked to do graph design stuff? And do you yes. like doing graph design stuff? Or do you now say like, I, I'm not a graph designer really? Well, I don't so my identify. partner's a graphic designer. Yeah. yeah. So now people ask me to do graphic design stuff. Um, a fair bit actually. And I pass them on to my yeah. partner. <laughs> I'm like, actually you need a graphic designer for that. And he's great. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just prefer to only do my own graphic design and then yeah. not do it otherwise. Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. Though. Hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. I still get it like every once, like I have nothing at my booth that looks like I'm a graph designer, but you know, yeah, once so per what show, do you like, do when people ask you, but that? when I got here, you were working t- on graphic design that's my own decision to do that (laughs) all right Uh, this (laughs) this has been super bulb science where we should always make our own decisions to do things we've been talking with Corey j and you can check out her stuff uh all over the internet and join the fight and make comments